Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, where as a church, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So if you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend worship experience. We'd love for you to stay connected with us by visiting us at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. Thanks for being with us, and we really hope you enjoy this message. Ready to get into the Word of God today. Are you ready? Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 13, verse 1 through 2. Joshua chapter 13, verse 1 through 2. If you don't have a Bible, then that's not a problem. We've got the verses behind us on the screen, and you can read along with us. When Joshua had reached a very old age, God said to him, you've had a good long life, but there is still a lot of land to be taken. And this is the land that remains. Raise your hand if you, it took a long time, but you finally got past something in life you thought you'd never get past. Raise your hand if you, amen. Keep your hand raised. Keep your hand raised. Keep your hand raised if as soon as you thought you got past it, a couple years later, you found out you weren't past it at all. <laughs> Come on, you can put your hand down because I think that's all of us. I think I have to imagine that that's how Joshua felt. Uh, for those who don't know, at the time of this writing, Joshua is at least 100, probably 110. And his entire life, he's been fighting fights. His entire life, as a young man and as an old man. And how discouraging must it have been for Joshua to find out that even though he has spent a lifetime fighting, that even in his final years, there was still fighting left to be done. I don't know whose bubble I came to burst today. But I want to speak to all of my 17, 16, and 15-year-olds who perhaps are fighting to fit into their peer group, perhaps are fighting to figure out what they want to do with the rest of your life. I want to encourage you and let you know that even though you are fighting at 15, 16, and 70, that you will still be fighting when you are 50, <laughs> 60, <laughs> and 70. <laughs> You will keep fighting because in life, the bad news is that it is guaranteed to go from fight to fight to fight. Guaranteed. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. Joshua 13, 6. The Lord says, but I myself will drive them out before the people of Israel. Here's the good news. Not that we go from fight to fight to fight, but that we're guaranteed to go from victory to victory to victory. It's what God promises. But there's a catch. You will win every fight that you find yourself in if, listen, Joshua 13, 6, all you have to do is allot this land to Israel as an inheritance, as I have instructed you. Translation, all you have to do is follow my instructions. And if you follow my instructions, you will experience victory when you fight. In other words, when I say fight, God says, you best fight. You got to fight. Even if the enemy is more numerous than you, when I say fight, you, even if the enemy is more technologically advanced than you, when I say fight, you, and even if the enemy is bigger than you, when I say fight, you, even if his name is Goliath and he carries a spear that weighs more than your body and a shield that is wider than the, than the largest sheep you ever took care of. David, when I say fight, you just throw that stone. And I promise that stone will meet with the big old forehead of Goliath and he will fall. If you do the fighting, God says, I will do the winning. But you got to do the faith. You got to have the faith. 
to do the fighting. We have an inside joke in our, on our staff, and it's about Pastor Joey. And we call Pastor Joey the giveaway king. Because I don't know if you follow Pastor Joey on social media or not, but it seems like he wins every giveaway on Instagram. If there is an Instagram on giveaway, he will post about because he won it. And I know this because oftentimes those contests require you tagging someone. So he used to tag me a lot. But then I got jealous because he kept winning. I said, don't stop, stop tagging me, bro. And I just, I just had to meet with him one time like, man, how do you keep winning all these things? I was like, how does God have that favor over your life? Like, do you sacrifice pigeons before you submit your entry into this? Like, how do you acquire the level of favor that you've acquired in your life? He says, well, I don't really think, I'll never forget what he told me. He said, well, I don't really think it's favor. I said, well, how do you keep winning? He goes, well, I've never seen an Instagram giveaway that I did not enter in. And that's when it hit me. Because I've never seen an Instagram giveaway that I did enter in. <laughs> because I just automatically assumed that I would not be the winner. And so because I did assume that I wouldn't win, I didn't even try. Pastor Joey, however, looked at it and said, I might win, I might not. My job is not to make it win. My job is to just enter, to just fight. I found out he doesn't believe in favor as much as he believes in fighting. If I just fight for it, if I just throw the stone, if I just throw hands, if I just spit on it, if I, just, if I can just do something, then maybe God will give it to me. But I, gotta, I wonder how many things in your life have you missed out on because you didn't even fight for it? But we'll get mad at God because he didn't give it to us. And God's like, I'd have given it to you if you'd have tried. If you'd have fought for it. It takes faith to fight for something. That'd be a good title of a sermon, wouldn't it? The faith to fight. Yeah, but that's not my sermon. Because it turns out that fighting is only half of life. And now I want to talk about the other half. Joshua 13, 8. The other half tribe of Manasseh with the Reubenites and Gadites had been given their inheritance by Moses on the other side of the Jordan eastward. Moses, the servant of God, gave it to them. God gave it to them. I need to go into some historical cultural context just to give you some background on what's happening here. There were 12 tribes of Israel. If you grew up in church, you know that. If not, that's cool. You're learning it. There were 12 tribes. They made up the nation of Israel. You can think of it like the 52 states. Do we have 52 states? 50. I knew that. I was joking. I was making sure you were checking. There's two more coming. Um, the 12 tribes of Israel and nine and a half tribes got their land on the west side of the Jordan. Two and a half tribes got their land on the east side of the Jordan. Now, the nine and a half tribes that did not have their land yet still had some fighting to do. But the two and a half tribes, they had already fought their fight. God had already given them the land, and they had already received what God wanted them to receive, but they had another problem. Verse 13, but the Israelites on the east side of the Jordan, east side, the Israelites failed to drive out the people of Gesher and Makah. So they continue to live among the Israelites to this day. Let me put this into a way that we can understand. The problem of the first nine and a half tribes was that they had most of the land God wanted to give them, but not all of the land. 
The problem for the other half in two tribes is that they had all the land that God wanted to give them. Please catch this. But they could not make the most of all the land that God gave them. They could not make the most of it. And here's when I start preaching, which half are you? Because I think most of us would say we are the half that is fighting for our blessing. We have yet to attain the promise. We have yet to see our son or daughter come to Christ. We have yet to be where we want to be at in our career. We have yet to see the baby come. And even though we've been trying, we've yet to get married. And so I'm still fighting for that fight. And, but that is only half the truth. The other half of the truth is that you already have everything you need. And your problem is not that you need more, but that you need to learn to make the most of everything you already have. That's good preaching. The Bible describes this as another, it gives another word, not fighting, it has another word. Numbers 33, 52 through 53. You must, this is Moses now, before this happens, prophesying that they're going to have a trouble in this area. You must drive out before you all the inhabitants of the land. Verse 53, you are to take possession of the land and what and what and, and settle in it. Settle. You see, they were nomads for 40 years. They lived in tents, set up and tear down. So they were good at fighting fights. They were good at swinging swords. They were good at slinging stones, but they never had to build houses before. They never had to plant vineyards. They never had to create a government. They never had to evict the old tenants. It's one thing to fight for a blessing, but it's another thing to live in the blessing that God's already given you. And if you don't learn how to live in it, if you don't know how to steward the blessing, how to manage the blessing, how to appreciate the blessing, how to build on the blessing, how to enjoy the blessing, you will live, you will lose what God gave you to live. You'll lose it. I think in life, we often think that the hardest part of the fight is getting the blessing. It's not. The hardest part of the fight is learning how to carry it. But we think the hardest part is getting it because in Hollywood, that's when the movie always ends. Have you noticed that? They get married, happily ever after. It's done all of a sudden. They get the baby, boom, the movie fades to black, go into the credits. The movie always ends when they get it. But, but that's not real life. Like, like the Prince Charming, the one who found the glass slipper for, for Cinderella, like the hardest part of that movie isn't when he found her. That was hard. But you know what the real hardest part of Prince Charming's life is going to be? When the evil stepmother becomes the evil mother-in-law. Come on, somebody. They don't talk about that part. That's Cinderella too. Now you got to live with the lady that killed the other guy. Like, and you got a, a room for her far away in another castle. Like, I'm just telling you, Hollywood wants you to think that the goal of life is to get it. But once you get it, you are faced with the reality of carrying it. And carrying it comes with a cost. Let me bring it more practical. Some of our high school students who are getting ready to go to college, like you cannot wait to get out of the house. And maybe you are trying really hard to get out. And your family said they don't got money for college. You said, no problem. I'm going to get scholarships just to get out of here. All the scholarships. I'm going to work hard. And you do. And you get it. And you get to go to college tuition free. And now you got your freedom. And now you're out on your own. But because you were not prepared to live in the freedom that you worked so hard to get, you stay out late. You don't study, you make friends with the wrong people, you go to some tests, you don't go to other tests, and all of a sudden, because you never learned to carry the blessing that you fought for, you lose the thing that God gave you. I want to talk to single people right now looking to get married. 
You think that getting married is the fight. But let me tell you something about getting married. It takes a moment to propose. It takes a day to get married, and it takes a week to have a honeymoon, if you're lucky. But it is a lifetime to be married. Come on. The hardest part about getting married is not getting married. Single person is being married. And you can have the faith to get into the relationship, but you also need to build the faith to stay in it and build in it. It's not easy. I know everybody who's trying to get pregnant and, and have a child. I, that can be hard. Some people can spend five, ten years trying to get pregnant. But getting pregnant is one thing. Being a parent is another thing. Carrying the weight of that, being a parent, is not easy. It's hard. Starting a business, anybody can start a business. Just go to sunbiz.org today. Type your name into the, whatever you want to call it. Larry's Loco Ladders. You got a business. <laughs> Starting a business is literally a couple clicks away, but being an entrepreneur, carrying the weight of payroll to pay the people who are counting on you to succeed so they can feed their families, carrying the blessing is another thing entirely. I want to talk to my retired people who have fought the good fight. Every, every month, you put away that $500 into your IRA, and you finally got the, the money that you've been fighting to save to retire, and you finally retire, and you think that your fight is over because you've retired, but now you got to carry the blessing of retirement. Now you got to do this. What do I mean? Here's the real fight, trying to find purpose without a profession. Now that I'm retired, what do I do? I thought this was it. Turns out there's still some more fights ahead of me. In this scenario, you do not have to learn how to battle. You have to learn how to settle into the season that God has you in in life. The title of today's message is not the faith to battle or the faith to fight. The title of today's message is the faith to settle. To make the most of the place God has you in life today. This is where I'm at. I'm done fighting. I'm here. And now the part of me is fighting, but I'm here. And now I'm going to fight to make this the most ever, the best ever. This is where God wants me. Let me give you a little subtitle for this, for those who like it even more practical. The subtitle of today's message is how to live in what God gives. How to live in what God gives. The origin of the sermon is when we first got this building, I met with our staff. And this building was a wreck. Um, it, there was things falling uh, everywhere. The, it wasn't up to fire code. Uh, there were animals living inside of here. They're all gone now. Um, so no worries. And, uh, it was, and I told them, I said, guys, we had the faith to get here, but now do we have the faith to live here? Because the things that we learned to get here, preaching, worship, small groups, pastoring people, that's cool. But now we're in a building and we don't know nothing about architecture, construction, the law. We don't know nothing about no coding, no zones. We got shut down three times in our renovation project. People kept coming in from the city. They're like, what are you doing? We're like, we're doing this. They're like, you can't do that. I'm like, didn't know. We knew what we knew to get here, but we didn't know what we needed to know to make the most of where God had us now. I put it like this. Listen, the faith to settle begins with having the faith to develop. To develop. The skill set for conquering is different than the skill set for settling. When the Israelites were in the desert, bread literally came from heaven. That's how they ate. But now if they wanted to eat, they needed to learn how to plant. They were always on the move, so they never had to build anything, but now they needed to learn how to build a house. 
They knew how to fight. They were good at fighting because they fought all their lives. And it does take faith to shoot an arrow, but it takes even more faith to bury a seed and to hope that that seed will produce fruit if you've never seen it before. And they had never seen it before. They just had to go on faith. Now that they got the land, hear me, now they needed to develop the land. I wrote it like this. Whatever you had to do to get it is different than what you have to do to keep it. Whatever you had to do to get to where you are in life, listen, is different than what you have to do to stay in it. I remember the first fight that Pastor Liz and I ever had um, as a married couple was when uh, she called me. I called her. We worked together at the time in ministry, and um, we decided to never do that again. And uh, we worked together in ministry and stuff. And, and uh, she was late to like a meeting. And I called her and I said, hey, are you okay? Is everything all right? She said, no, I was on my way, but my tire blew. And I said, oh man. I said, well, is there anything I can do for you? How can I help you? And then she said, no, it's all good. I called my dad. And if you don't know what's wrong with that, um, everything, everything is wrong with that. And I just had, I'll just get right to the point. I just told her, listen, I understand that your dad is your dad, but it's my job to keep you safe now. It's my job to provide for you now. And so if you get in a situation, let me be the first person you call because you have left him. Now you're with me and I want to take care of you. So let me take care of you. And she said, well, I just didn't know. And then she brought up some story from when we first started dating and her tire blew and I had never changed a tire before in my life. And I just, my dad was in the first service. I just let him have it. I said, dad, thank you for introducing me to Jesus, but you could have taught your boy how to change a tire. It would have been helpful. Those are one of the few things you kind of need to know. But we were first, we first started talking, her tire blew. I said, don't worry, I got it. That's the kind of faith your brother has right here. I had never changed a tire before in my life. I said, I got it. I, I've seen this in movies. I, I went to the trunk. I found the, the crossbar tire jack. Is that, I don't know what it's called. I promise I can take the tire now. I, grabbed, I saw the jack. I'm like, no, this isn't where you got to lift it up. I, I jacked up the car first. Then I put the, the tire wrench in there. I started spinning. The tire started turning. She's over there looking at me. She's the sweetest person in the world. She's like, hmm. She said, should I get someone? I was like, no, I got this. I said, maybe you should just go inside and let me handle it. So I sent her inside for 30 minutes while I Googled on my phone when she was in how to change the tire. So she told me at the end, she said, because of that, I didn't know that you knew how to change a tire. And really what it was getting down to was, was I'm sorry, I didn't trust you enough to change this tire. But my dad's been with me my whole life. I know he knows, I can trust him because he's, he's the man who's been in my life my whole life. And kind of, you just kind of got here. Now here's the thing, what brought her to me, what brought me to her, what got us together was her lack of trust in guys. If you think about it, because the only reason she married me was because she was able to see through all those other jokers. You know what I'm saying? She didn't just, she wasn't just swayed by the fact that some of these people carried a Bible or they had handsome or they had muscles or whatever. No. She said, I don't trust you enough to just go on your appearance. I don't trust you enough to just go on the fact that you come to church. I'm going to examine your life. I'm going to make sure you're someone that I want to spend the rest of my life with. And so listen, her lack of trust in men is what got her married. But what keeps her married is developing trust with the man that she's decided to spend the rest of her life with. 
Are you with me? What got you here is not going to be what gets you there. You're going to have to develop some new things if you enter into a new season that served you well in the last season, but they don't serve you well right now. Let me talk real quickly to parents. Parents, just because you are still the parent of your 20-year-old does not mean you can parent them like you used to parent them when they were 12 years old. If you can't say amen, say ouch. One of the two. Some of you are wondering why you're having such an issue with your kids right now. It's because you still see them as kids. But now that you're in a new place, you can't do the same things. You got to develop. Listen, if you spank your 12-year-old, that's okay. That's called discipline. You spank your 20-year-old, that's called assault. You want to put your 12-year-old in timeout? Go ahead. That's called punishment. You put your 20-year-old in timeout? That's called kidnapping. <laughs> and if you try and use the same tactics when they were younger, when they get older, if you don't develop, listen, I said it like this. If you're going to settle down, you're going to have to level up. You're going to have to develop fathers. I love you, fathers. Thank you for being a father. Not many men stay to be fathers. But father, if you are going to now pastor your 20-year-old, you're going to love your 20-year-old, you're going to be a father, guess what you're going to have to do? Develop a friendship. Now, not when they're 12 years old. When they're 12 years old, I could care less about being your friend. I'm your father. <laughs> but when they're 20, you can't come with that. You're going to have to develop a friendship. Moms, moms, you're going to have to develop from mom to mentor. From mom to mentor, what does that mean? That means needing them when they think they need you, not needing them, not needing them when you think they need you. In other words, mind your business until they call you. Well, I'm just trying to help out. That's not what a mentor is. A mentor stays in the corner. And this is your job now, mom. I just want you to know, baby, if you need me, I'm here. If you need me, I'm here. But you can't be all up in their business anymore. Not if you want to be effective as a parent. I wrote it like this. I'm staying in the same place, but I'm not staying the same person. I'm not staying the same person. I'm going to evolve. I'm going to grow. I'm going to develop. I want to talk to my single people for a second. There's nothing wrong with being single because singleness is just a place. It's just a place. I'm more concerned with the person you're developing to while you're in that place. Because you could be single and thriving. You know that, right? You don't need a man to thrive. You don't need a girl to thrive. You can be single and thriving. You, your finances can be thriving. Your, your physical health can be thriving. Your mental and emotional health can be thriving. Your career can be thriving. So you can be single and thriving, or you can be single and thirsty. How is the place going to affect the person? And I know some of y'all are like, but can you be both? Because I really think I'm in the middle. And I want to let you know right now, you can't be both because they have different focuses. The person who is single and thriving is focused on not being the same person. The person who is single and thirsty is focused on trying to get to a different place. And so what you do is, in the, to the effect of trying to be a different person, you hop from different place to different place to different place. You go from one dude to the next dude, from one girl to the next, hoping that a different place will make you a different person. You go from one job to the next job to the other job, hoping that a different job will make you a different person. I'm, this might get a little personal, but you might go from one church 
to the next church, to the next church, hoping that a different church will make you a different person. But if you're the same person in a different place, it's the same. What you need to do is ask the Lord, God, forget about changing my place. Change the person. Change me. Develop me. I want to grow. I want to evolve. Here's what you got to do. You got to have an inherent faith in your place. That where I am is, God, is where God wants me to be. So whether it is good or whether it is bad, I'm going to develop it. I'm going to build it. If, if it's good or bad, if I make 10K a month or if I make 1K a month, I'm going to develop what God has given me. If I make 10K a month, listen, I'm going to have a budget because you should develop where you are. You shouldn't look at the 10K you make a month and go, well, does it really matter if I have a budget? Because honestly, come on, I got enough to pay for it. That's how you go broke. If you make 1K a month, budget it, develop it. Don't look at your 1K and go, does it really matter? There's only so many ways you can cut a pizza. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> does it really matter at this point? That's how you stay broke. If you make 10K, you need to develop the skill of investing. Why? Because working is what gave you money, but eventually you won't be able to work and you need your money to work for you. And if you don't do that, you'll go broke. If you make 1K, learn how to invest. Get your little $20 that's left over from the month and put it somewhere and let it grow over time. It's the magic of compound interest. God can take it and multiply it and build it. If you make 10K a month, develop it by tithing. I know that's hard when you make 10K because writing a $1,000 check to the church that you're giving to God through the church, that's tough. But if you look at it as an investment in your faith, what you're developing, and remember who gave it to you in the first place, I'm going to develop this. And if you make 1K a month and you look at a little $100 and say, well, this isn't really going to make a difference for the church, or you make $100 a month, well, $10 really isn't going to make a difference. It's not about what it does for this place. It's about what it does to make you a different person, to change you. you got to have the faith to develop, and you got to have the faith to do what's little. The faith to do what, if you're going to settle, the faith to settle is the faith to do what's little. I can imagine how dull settling down must have seemed to the Israelites who had just gone through the Red Sea, who had saw bread fall from heaven, who saw water come from a rock, saw the Jordan Sea split, miracle after miracle, the ground open up, fire from a mountain. And then God's next command after all of that amazing stuff is grab that hammer, yes, Lord, and attack the enemy, no, and, hit, and nail that nail right there. What, God, are you serious? This is what you want me to do in my life? What happened to the fighting? And what happens to the... We're so apt. I found out that most Christians are really good at doing the big things, but sometimes we don't bother to do the little things because we love the victory and the fighting. But can you settle? I wrote it like this. It takes a big faith to do little things. It takes a big faith to do little things. I, I, I remember I needed to get some help um, because I was... I go to the gym and I, squatting is something I try to do and I was having a lot of knee pain. So I, I reached out to a member of our church who's, uh, he works uh, as a trainer and his name's Armand. He's actually sitting right there in the front row. And I reached out to Armand. I said, hey man, I know you do this. Can you help me? I got a lot of knee pain. And he was like, yeah, man. He goes, send me a video of your squat. And so I got, I got the bar and took the bar and, and I, I had the video. I said, babe, pull out the camera. I became one of those people in the gym with the camera. Pull out the camera. And I listen, I could squat like 185, 225. I'm not trying to brag, but I could squat, you know, pretty big, whatever. So I didn't do that. But, but I wanted to show, I wanted to use my best form. So I went down to 135. I was like, I'm going to go down. I'm going to go down because I want to have good form. So I, so I started doing it and I was like this. And then, and he saw, he saw on the video that when I went down, 
my knees went in. He said, that's a part of the knee pain. You got to keep the knees out. So I was like, oh, that's good. And then he said, and he said, I want a video from the side. Now I'm gonna just ask right now that everybody put away their phone. <laughs> please, please do not turn this into a meme. Please, I'm begging you, please. Ma'am, I see you with your phone, put it away. I said, let me see it from the side. So I went on the side and then what happened was when I got about here, the weight got so heavy that I started to bend over. Now the weight is in front of my knees. So I'm putting more weight on my knees than needs to be. He goes, that's where the knee pain's coming from too. He says, you got to keep the bar on a straight vertical path, up and down, no forward, no back. So, so, but, so I did it with 135. Couldn't do it. Could not lift 135 with good form. So I took off the 45 pound plates, put on the 25 pound plates. I'm going to try to good form 95 pounds. Couldn't do it. Now it's just me and the bar. Me in the bar. And, and what make it worse, there's this guy next to me, half my size, doing 225 pounds. He looks at me, I look at him. And I'm working on my form, working on my form. It's form. And so I'm over here, just okay, knees out, oh, keep the bar straight. Knees out, keep the bar straight. Knees out, keep the bar straight. And you know why I did that? Because I was willing to work on the little things, the things that nobody sees, the things that, listen, not the things that help me lift the biggest weight, although it will, but the things that keep me from being injured, the things that keep me where I want to be. My goal has shifted in the gym. I'm not trying to be the strongest dude. I'm trying to be the 60-year-old dude who keeps coming back because he has not been injured. I'm trying to stay in the land for a long time, not just get in the land. I'm trying to settle it. And to settle it, sometimes you got to do the little things that no one else does because you understand that the little things are what build the form and the habits in your life to be able to then do bigger things. But if you're not willing to do the little things, if you want to throw as much weight on that bar, and let me put it this way, I wrote it like this, getting it is always fun, but building it is boring. Always fun to lift heavy. And you should, oh, you make noises, ah. Oh. <laughs> 45 pounds is boring, but it's the little things that build. You know what's fun? Getting the job. You know what's boring? Going to bed early the night before so that you can get up early so that you can keep that job that God gave you. It might be boring, but it's what builds you. And some of y'all got three side hustles because you hate your job so much. But what you don't know is that God has a destiny for you to become the CEO of that company. And you are forfeiting the big things. You are forfeiting the big things because you think the little things are too little for you. Because you want to be a big CEO, you won't be a little employee. Not knowing that being a little employee is the bridge to becoming a big CEO. You got to do the little things. God, do the little things. Listen, getting, getting saved is exciting and it's fun and it's big. But you know what keeps you saved? Coming to church every Sunday. I know this doesn't seem sexy. I know I, I should send you somewhere to climb a mountain and perform a sacrifice at a thousand feet. But reading your Bible every day, praying every day, are you trying to little things? They keep you in the land that help you make most of it. And so don't be afraid if big things aren't headed your way. It's not the big things that help you make the most of the life that you have. It's a commitment to do the little things. For everyone who's married in the house, let me tell you right now, I know what you think your marriage needs, a vacation. If we could just get away to Iceland and see the northern lights 
It'd be amazing. Let's do that. That'll save our marriage because you got a big thing mentality. But you know what really saves your marriage? Throwing out the garbage. I'm waiting for some wife to say amen right now. (laughs) Doing the dishes. Telling her that you love her every day before you leave the house. The little things. And here's the last part. Faith to develop. The faith to do the little things. And the faith to not settle for less. If you're going to settle in a place... While you're there, don't settle for less. Joshua 13, 13. But the Israelites failed to drive out the people of Geshur and Mecca. So they continue to live among the Israelites today. You know why they let them stay? Do some Bible research. The reason why they let them stay, you got to catch this. This is why you got to dive into the Bible. It's so interesting. Is because they made the Geshurites and the Maekites slaves. In other words, they looked at something that was not supposed to be on their land and they thought, It's not so bad because we have it under control. In other words, they said, hey, listen, we can live with it. They're not fighting. Let's just live with it. Here's the question. Is there something you're living with that is keeping you from living in? Is there something you're living with that is keeping you because you think you have it under control? This wheelchair right here. Uh, I remember going to Disney with my wife, Liz, when she was pregnant with uh, Zane, my second born. And when we got to Disney, everybody knows the best part of Disney or the worst part of Disney is walking around, doing all that walking. So we got there. She said, oh, look, wheelchairs. Get one. So I got the wheelchair. But it wasn't just her. It was her and Justice. So now her and Justice are sitting in the wheelchair and I had to push them all around Disney. Every time we went to Disney, this was my life now at Disney pushing my wife and my son around all the time, all the time. And I looked at her and she was enjoying it. And I was glad that I got to bring her joy. But at the same time, she was enjoying it a little too much. (laughs) A little too much. She was like, ooh, I like this. I like this. She said, this is good. This is the only way to do Disney. I like this. She said, we should take this home. (laughs) But uh, no, (laughs) ma'am. She said, why not? I said, real easily. I'll tell you why not. Because wheelchairs are for people who can't walk. In other words, please catch it. You can't live with it because you weren't born to live in it. You have a gift that God gave you that he didn't give other people. So you can't take, you can't stay in it because you weren't born to stay in it. I know this wheelchair analogy might be weird for some of you. So let me make it a little more practical. This isn't just a wheelchair. This is your secret. The secret that you're living with that nobody knows. And you've gotten real comfortable keeping this secret. And you know why you keep it? Because it served you at some seasons in your life. Your secret has helped you get from relationship to relationship. It's helped you get from job to job. Your secret, and nobody knows it, and that's fine. It's helped you function in society. It's your secret, and you've gotten comfortable staying in your secret. But God has so much more for you. Now you're in a serious relationship. Now you've been married five, six, seven years. Now you're in a small group and there are people around you who want to love you and develop you and grow you. But because they don't know the real you, loving you is impossible because you keep telling yourself, how can someone love me if they don't know me? And so even though it's been comfortable keeping your secret, I need to tell you something. Your comfortability has become a disability. 
Don't let what makes you comfortable make you captive. For others, this is not a secret. For others, this is an addiction. Maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's porn, maybe it's something else. But you don't, I'm not, I'm not gonna, no, I'm gonna stay here and I'm gonna stay, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna just live with it. It's under control. It's okay. It hasn't affected my marriage yet. It hasn't affected my job yet. I've, I've got this under control. I, 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 my job is doing well. Of course you're doing well. You know why? Because you are what doctors would call a functioning addict. You have an addiction, but it hasn't kept you from things yet. But let me tell you something about the Geshurites and the Maekites. Fast forward your Bible a few chapters, they end up overtaking the land again. What am I trying to tell you? The things you have under control now, you won't have under control forever. At some point, they're going to come back for the land that God gave you. At some point. Maybe this is an addiction. Maybe this is a depression. And you don't mind. Again, you can, you can roll around in this because you know how to turn it on when you need to. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you wrestle with depression, but when you get to church on Sunday, good, everything's good. I'm good. So as long as you can hide it, you're good. But now the thoughts are getting darker. It used to be I can't get out of bed. Now it's, now it's darker. Maybe it's an insecurity. Like you just decided this is the level I'm going to live life at. Because trying anything else, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm good here. I'm going to just stay here. And I want you to know you can't live with this because you were not born to live in this. There's more for you. I know we're a little late to introduce a Bible story, but I'm going to do it real quick. John chapter five, verse six. Let me give you some context. There's this pool. It's called the Pool of Bethesda. And the people at the time in the Bible believed that an angel would touch the water. And when he touched the water, if you jumped in the water at the time that the angel touched it, you'd be completely healed. And so we've got this paralyzed man. They didn't have wheelchairs back then, but for the sake of illustration, imagine he's in his chair. Go Verse 6. One man had been an invalid there for 38 years. That's a long time. And when Jesus saw him stretched out by the pool and knew how long he had been there, he said, do you want to get well? That's almost offensive. Like, most obvious question ever. Do I want to get well? Unless, the Bible says, he knew how long he had been there. So maybe Jesus saw him on his mat. Jesus saw him in his wheelchair and said, I'm just asking because it's been 38 years and you look kind of comfortable. I'm just wondering, do you want to get up? Because you do know that once you get up, you're going to have responsibility, right? I mean, as long as you're in your wheelchair, you ain't got to do much. But you know, once you get up, you got to get a job, right? So I just want to know, you seem pretty comfortable where you are in life. So before I do the healing, do you want to be healed? Do you want this new life or do you want to stay where you are? Because if we're honest, sometimes our dysfunction can be comfortable. It's just easier to stay where we are sometimes in life. Gotta love the man's answer. The man doesn't even answer the question. Verse 7, the sick man said, sir, when the water is stirred, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. And by the time I get there, somebody else is already in. You hear what his answer is? He points to other people. Instead of saying what he wants, he goes, listen, but let's not talk about me. Let's talk about the reason why I'm here. His fault. Her fault. Their fault. God is like, do you want to be different? Do you want to be changed? Do you want to be transformed? Do you want to, be, do you want to have your life turned upside down in a good way? And you're like, well, you don't understand. I'm here because of my mom. I'm here because of that person who abused me. This is my third marriage. I'm here because she, she, she cheated on me. I, 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 have a re, I have a right to be here. God didn't ask you what you had a right to. He wants you to know what do you want. I didn't ask you about them. I asked you about you. Forget about your rights. What, what do you want? 
Finally, I think looking at this person's heart, Jesus answered. Jesus said, verse 8 through 9, get up, take your bedroll, start walking. And the man was healed on the spot. He picked up his bedroll and walked off. Now, every single person in church is looking at me right now going, yeah, I wish it was that easy. I wish it was just get up and it, oh, okay, I'm healed. Awesome. Yeah. But you don't have the context. You don't understand that this man who was standing by the pool was standing by a body of water that was 42 feet deep. The pool of Bethesda was 42 feet deep. Here's the point. You try asking somebody who hasn't stood up in 38 years for the first time to stand next to a pool of water that is 42 feet deep. Are you hearing me? What's the, what's the lesson? It's, it's risky to get up. It's risky to leave that old life behind because you could fall and lose everything. You could be embarrassed. You could drown. But I promise you what God has for you out there is greater than what you have in here. And this is where the faith part comes in. Hear me. And this is where the faith part comes in. Because I know you've been here a long time. But look at the Bible verse again. Verse 8. Here's why you can get up. Verse 8. Because Jesus said, get up. All of a sudden, it isn't about me or where I'm at. It's what Jesus said. And if Jesus said, get up, then I'm going to get up. If you are wrestling with an addiction, Jesus said, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. So in the name of Jesus, get up. If you are tired and weary, the Bible says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So in the name of Jesus, get up. If you are looking for a purpose, the Bible says, Jesus says, come to me and I will make you fishers of men. In other words, get up and leave that old life behind. Leave the shame behind. Leave the guilt behind. If you get up and take the risk and let it go, God says, I'll give you a new life, not in a different place, but in the place you're at right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to do two prayers. The first prayer is for those who have not come to Jesus yet. You need to come to him. There's healing in him. There's restoration in him. There's life in him. On the count of three, if you're willing to get up and come to Jesus for the first time, for the first time in a long time, when I say three, I want you to raise your hand as a signal, as a sign. Right hand. Jesus, I need you all over this room. One, two, three. Raise your right hand right now. Jesus, I need you. Come on, all over this room. I see it. You are not alone. You are not alone. You are not alone. Amen. I see that hand. I see it. 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 Hands are still coming up. I see it. I see it. Want to give you some more time. I see that hand. I see that hand. Journey Church, let's all pray this prayer together. Worship team will pray this prayer. Nobody left out. Let's pray this prayer. Father God, today I get out the chair and I come to you. Heal me. Forgive me. I repent. I leave that old life behind and I turn to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Come on, give it up for all those. Give it up for all those. Now here's what I want everyone to do. Everyone who is in the same place right now or you're in a new place, I want you to prophesy to that land right now and declare change and transformation. Wherever you are in life, riches or poverty, marriage or singleness, divorce or 30 years married, sick or healthy. I want you to speak to the wind, speak to transformation, declare, declare over your life. I'm going to develop right where I am. I'm going to do the little things.
We hope you've enjoyed this message, and we would love to hear your story and how this ministry is changing your life. Please email us at amen at journeyorl.com. And if you would like to support financially, you can give online at journeyorl.com give. If you're in the area, join us on Sunday for the full experience. Have a blessed week.